welcome to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines, changing the conversation around divorce. This show is sponsored by Penguin in the Room. Penguin in the Room is an award-winning arts, marketing and social media management company. If you want to jazz up your socials and have someone Instagram and tweet for you, then here's your answer. Go to www.penguinintheroom.com. As always, hit subscribe to make sure you're updated about new episodes. And we love to hear from you on social media at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. You can also email us all the infos on our website, thedivorcesocial.com. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com, code GLOW. I am joined by Sundari, stylist. I'm at the nail salon. Grocery store. I'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store. Wait, she's at the nail salon and the grocery store? I'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store. Groceries through Instacart delivered to my door. I don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store. An art director. Welcome to the Divorce Club. Hi. This is feeling a little surreal because I've like listened to all of your podcasts. So, <laughs> so how does it feel after listening now being interviewed? I, I, I'm, I'm similar to you. I'm 30 going through something that none of my friends are going through or like they you know they're trying to be sympathetic and trying to understand and correlate it to like ending of relationships and stuff but no one really gets it around me so listening is kind of like my one like little like you know when you got the glass to the to the wall and you're like oh yeah Ooh. <laughs> it it makes me feel weird at the same time because I'm, I'm I'm in it right now I'm going through it I'm not at the end of it I'm kind of going through the process of the divorce so it feels a bit like I haven't learned my badge yet <laughs> you have you're welcome in the club yeah you're going through the process that's the hardest bit yeah. So when did you separate from your ex? We separated, it's a bit of a long story, I guess. We separated last year, January, 2019, January. But he was living in the house. We have a house together. Um, and then he moved out, I think it was like the end of March. So, yeah, we kind of like did the whole like January going on a break kind of thing but I think we both well I think I definitely knew it wasn't ever going to come back on but March when he moved out definitely felt like that moment like this is it we've made that decision now how did that come about did you sit down and talk about it and then how was living together during that yeah we slept in separate rooms it was basically we did couples therapy before to kind of figure stuff out because I think things were feeling a little bit from my perspective obviously things were quite wobbly and we went to couples therapy to try and figure things out um and it was just becoming more and more apparent to me that it just wasn't working anymore and I remember in January it was just kind of like I remember being in the session and it just became apparent I was just like I need to I need a break I need to put full stop on this um and and I remember he was very kind of felt like it was a runaway train and uh, he felt like the rug had been pulled from beneath him. It was very much on me to kind of go, oh, let's take a break. But I think that was me softening it, basically. I look back on it now and I think I was softening the the blow, basically. And then 
March, it just became really clear that it just wasn't working, like living in the different rooms and like we weren't having dinner together. It was just all a little bit like tiptoeing around each other. It was very strange. That's so nice though, that you were so gentle with each other. I was like, when I broke up with my ex, I was like, so are you leaving? <laughs> like not in a, it wasn't, it sounds really rude like that, but I was like, so are you going to go? And he was like, all right. And he packed a bag and he left straight away. But, but this is the thing. I don't know whether I think... <sighs> I kind of, I've, I've, this is one thing that I've kind of gone over in my mind because I guess I was very, very much the executor of the ending. He was just kind of like, I guess, waiting for me to decide whether I was in or whether I was out. And I think I still wasn't sure if I was in or out, but I think I was killing myself basically. So I think it was to the benefit of us both, for us to both gently, gently, because I had like this total anxiety around okay there's one thing ending a relationship but then there's another thing like telling the people around you that it's over and we kept it secret and I remember we I think it was a point where we were still living together and we knew we weren't sleeping in the same beds and we went for a meal with my parents like in the local pub and I remember them asking about when are you gonna have kids and we're both sat there like oh mm, we're probably gonna break up (laughs) first um it was just all really uncomfortable but yeah, no, I don't know. I kind of go over it and go, should I have done it quicker? Should I have known quicker? But you can't, in the moment, you don't, I don't think I ever had this, like, I woke up and it was over. I think it very much, like, slowly, slowly became apparent. Um yeah, I'd be lying if I said I had an epiphany that it was over. That's funny because I think I had an epiphany that it was over. It wasn't, well, it wasn't out of the blue, but I think my ex started the pl- preliminary oh, yeah. sort of conversation. I think we both knew where it was heading, but I was in a bit of like denial of like, we could just fix it. It's fine. Put a plaster over it and it'll last for a bit longer. We'll just carry on dysfunctionally living together. And then he sort of like coached the subject kind of maybe only a few weeks beforehand and sort of said, oh, should we stay in separate rooms? And I was like, no, 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 everything's fine. It's fine. (laughs) And then I went uh, and then I was offered magic mic live which was my job I know, so I, I went all about that <laughs> <laughs> so I, I I went away to Vegas to see the show and then I went to LA to work with Channing Tatum which was quite a fun thing to do when your marriage is breaking down yes and um and the whole time I was there, I was sort of, it was nice to have a break. And I was thinking about things. I was talking to my mum on the phone about like the relationship, but I definitely still hadn't made a decision. And the conversation I'd had with my ex was like, this isn't great, but he wasn't like, we need to break up. But he was just like, this isn't great. And it was the first time we'd like said it out loud to each other. And then, but I still wasn't sure what I was going to do. And I came home from LA and I'd had a really bad flight and I'd like twisted my ankle and, before and all of that. It was like, I was, so I was in pain and I was moaning. And then I got home and I thought, oh, it's going to be really nice to see him, you know, and he'll look after me. And he opened the front door and I just knew that it was over. It was so weird. Really? I'm quite like that though. Cutthroat. Yeah, this is, I don't know. I'm kind of like, I wish, I think... This is the weird thing. I feel like I had this weirdness ever from the moment we kind of got married. We, you know, were on that roller coaster, got married, you know, bought a house, like moved out of my flat, moved into my parents, went to my friend's wedding in Italy and went back to my parents. And then I think we also went to France into another wedding. It was just like a flurry. And then we moved into the house and then all the wedding gifts were arriving. So it was just like, oh my God, this is amazing. And we're living in an amazing house and it's all good. You know, the dream is going to begin. And it never really fully began for me. And I remember like, I think it was like two months in, like, and I was... Why I was I remember questioning my friends like it's really hard being married it's really really hard like it's not all rainbows and <laughs> and like happily couple dates and stuff like that I, I don't know it was just really 
weird. I kept having this feeling. I was like, I, it's, why is it so hard? Why is being married so hard? And I think I basically then I started to put plasters on myself thinking it was a problem with me rather than an actual problem with the marriage. Because I think that just in my mind, I was like, no, I don't want to blame the marriage. The marriage is like saving me because I was so young when I got married. I was 26, 24 when I got engaged, 26 when I got married. And it was like everything I wanted it to be. Um, and, and he was great, he's amazing, like kind, caring, loves me. Like, I can't blame the marriage for not feeling right. How dare I? It really felt like that. And then, I mean, I guess I have hindsight now. I can look back and go, wow, I was really just putting plasters on myself. But actually, the relationship wasn't working for me. Um, and I just, I just, I, I think, again, I was in that sort of weird denial. But yeah, I do, I do wonder would it have been easier if we just had that kind of real full stop moment? But I think because we weren't on the same page, we would have never had that full stop moment. It would have been one person and then it would have been really painful for the other. It's so interesting that you say you blamed yourself because I think I definitely had that too of like, everything's amazing. We bought a house, we got cats, we got married and, you know, you go on honeymoon, everything's lovely. And then I definitely remember my friends because none of my, well, only like a couple of my friends are married so all my other friends who haven't got married yet were like oh my god is it different being married is it amazing and I'd be like mm. yes yeah, it's, it's good but in my head thinking it's not it's actually a bit shit but like yeah I, I feel oh like I god. can't say that and then um yeah and then I remember thinking this is normal life now and I mm. just want it to be different but this is how it is for everyone yeah and uh, so I just need to d- deal with it and just get used to it I definitely thought it was me being the performer that I am being like oh my god there should be excitement and actually you know this is fine I just need to get used to it yeah and I, I remember because I worked in weddings so at the point like I was planning my clients' weddings and stuff like that. So I was surrounded by the wedding and the lovely world of that. So if I wasn't happy in my marriage, I felt like a fraud in my work. I think I had that pressure as well. It's just, and I, I, I do wonder whether you are the one that ends the relationship or whether you don't. When it comes to divorce, I think, I don't know, I don't want to speak for everybody, but I often think the woman blames themselves. I know, like, for ending the relationship, I felt such tremendous shame. And, like, I I was the elephant in the room. And I and no one really knew how to talk to me because you can't go, oh, no, he left you, poor you. They have to go, oh, no, you're sad that you made this choice, you know? And I, I don't know, I just, I remember just not really wanting to talk about it because, and I did, and I, and I vividly remember one of my friends was like, are you angry with me? Because I disappeared. I just, I, I, I shut down when he moved out. I just went into kind of shutdown mode and I was just trying to get through day by day. And then deciding when I had to tell my parents, like, you know, oh my gosh, like South Asian culture hanging over my head. My God, I was so scared about telling my parents and the, 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 then the worrying about what they're going to feel. And I was thinking, all oh, the money that was spent on the wedding. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, God, this is just a nightmare. And it, I just, I didn't, I didn't know how to cope with all of it. Him moving out, me being alone, figuring out how to stand on my own two feet, telling my family. It was just all so much. And, yeah, I, re- I think that was when I went, I don't know about you, but I've kind of went, gone through waves of grief. Like I'll have a moment where I absolutely grieve and I remember going through like a definite bout of depression and just not knowing when the pain was going to end and then kind of coming out of it and being like, this is good. I've made the choice. And, you know, everyone's reminding you you're strong and and it's one of the bravest decisions that people can make. But you don't feel it, but you, you're trying to get to that confident place. And then you get confident and you're like, yes, I'm amazing. I'm sexy and I'm free. <laughs> and then another wave hits you and you go, oh, God, I have no money. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. And I'm single and I'm alone <laughs> and then I'm in the house. <laughs> I don't know. I just keep growing. You think you're through it and then you're not. And then another wave hits you of grief, but then having to worry about your friends and your family coping with the grief because they're like a stage they're like five stages behind you on dinner because you've already kind of gone yeah I'm not in this marriage anymore you end it 
and then you have to tell people and then they have to go what what happened <laughs> like oh. and I, th- I think it's so interesting as well because so many of my friends were shocked that we were breaking up because they were like well you seem so happy because of course like when you go to like a barbecue or a party you are all smiles you're not going to be like in the middle of like dancing in someone's kitchen be like p.s i'm having a terrible time in my marriage (laughs) yeah um so i think a lot of people were yeah quite shocked by it and so you kind of have to break it to them in stages how did you tell your parents because you say yeah you have the weight of south your south asian heritage hanging over you what does that mean uh well i don't know i'm i'm any sort of, I mean, I'm, my, my dad is Tamil, my mum is Punjabi, so already they're a little bit naughty, I guess, in the world of South Asia. <laughs> but um, Why are they a little bit naughty? I love that description. A <laughs> little bit naughty. Because <laughs> my, technically when they got married, they weren't allowed to get married because, you know, she's a Punjabi Sikh and my dad is Tamil Hindu from Sri Lanka. So like their parents were like, no, you're from two different worlds. You can't get married. Obviously letting them get married. Um, there is just there's a cultural stigma to kind of marrying someone outside of your culture, uh, particularly well from what I've been brought up in. Um, obviously, a lot of my family are married to whoever they love, and I was obviously married allowed to marry for love. Um, but yeah, the, the the dread because of how parents talk about divorce and shame and stuff, and it becomes like a gossipy topic. And I knew how upset my parents would feel because I guess from their perspective it's the it's really the marrying of not just two, the you know two young people it's the marrying of two families and whilst my, my family weren't like completely involved with his family that momentum is still behind it and you you kind of treat them as your own family so it wasn't just kind of saying hey I don't like him anymore I'm going to leave you're kind of going hey you know, that guy that I really convinced you to really like isn't really working out. I'm going to leave. And also all that money you spent on the wedding and all the investment that you emotionally had to go through to get to the point where you were happy <laughs> is out the window. But funnily enough, so uh, breaking it to my parents actually happened in stages. I had to tell my dad, I'm such a daddy girl. So I'd be kind of like lying on FaceTime to my dad, just saying, oh, he's away for work or, oh, he's just upstairs or, you know, just barefaced lying, which, you know, I'm attuned to. I'm a South Asian first generation child, but it was becoming increasingly painful for me to kind of lie that he's in the house somewhere and he's not. Um, and I could tell that my dad was clocking up. My dad's a very intelligent man. And I remember calling him just randomly one day. It was like the middle of the day. And I just said, dad, I, I, I need to, I need to come to your work. I need to talk to you. Um, he was like, okay, all right. Uh, come, come now, come now. And I like, my dad like works about 45 minutes away from where I live. So I had, I knew I had to like drive all the way there, go to his drive up to his massive office. And then I called him when I was there and he like walked out of the huge building. He's like, hello, my daughter. I've never done this before. Like no one ever turns up to their parents' place of work. (laughs) And he was like, hi, let's go to the town and have some lunch. And I was like, okay, all right. Like not sure when to break it. So he got in my car, we drove to the town, like picking a car park space completely. Oh, he's being so cool. He's being so calm. He's not grilled me yet. And I was like waiting for him to be like, why are you here? And then I don't know why, but the whole of the town, his work is near, was like shut. All the cafes were shut. The one place we found was like Waitrose, which had like a tiny little corner cafe. So he was like, oh, let's go in there. Okay, cool. Because I wasn't hungry either. So I was like, I don't want to go to a restaurant and have to sit and eat an entire meal, but not eat it because I'm like sick because I'm about to tell my dad I'm getting a divorce. So I, we went into Waitrose, sat down, ordered. And I just said, I'm pretty sure you've, you've guessed what's happening. And I remember his like body language. He was kind of sat with his arms crossed, very classic my dad, sat like, okay. And he was so calm though. And I was just waiting for him to like frown and be like, what, what? But I guess the whole weirdness was obviously I've called him out of the blue, come to his workplace. He knew something big was up. But I don't know whether he was secretly hoping it was a pregnancy. <laughs> I don't know. But I remember just feeling like, oh God. Um, but yeah, so he, he just sat there looking and was like, okay, 
how long has this been going on for? And I was like, well, we've been doing couples therapy for, you know, about six months. And he was like, six months? Oh, okay. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, he's clocking on. It's been going on for a while. It's not just a, <laughs> an overnight decision. He was just so calm and collected. And he was like, okay, well, you, you'll be okay. We'll figure this out. And I remember being bowled over by that. I was just so shocked. I was really expecting a real grilling um, so I have to really give props to my dad for handling it how he did because it gave me such a sense of relief that I wasn't going to be absolutely <laughs> told off <laughs> for it. And then I was like, should I call mum to tell her? And he was like, no, 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 I will tell her. And I was like, okay. It actually took my dad like another month to tell my mum. <laughs> my God, had he to, had to build up to it. Yeah, even he had to build up to tell my mum. Because my parents, they loved him. They really, really did. They really cared for him. So I, I think my dad had to do his own grieving process before he told my mum. And then I remember we had this family wedding that I had to attend. My cousins at that point all knew. So that, well, the main ones knew and they could filter out the information. I kind of did the whole, like, can you tell other people? Because <laughs> I just didn't want to have to keep going. Why is he not here? Oh, oh, oh not. I just hated that. I hated that feeling. And having to go to a wedding so soon after you've separated. Yeah, the first wedding, I think, as a single person, it is hard. I remember I was really scared to go to my first wedding. But then actually, the hottest guy there who was single just chatted me up all night and we had a dance. That's amazing. So it was lovely. I did not have such luck. <laughs> but I, I remember I remember being, because I love weddings, obviously, I, and I love um, the family member who was getting married and I really wanted to be there. And I remember we were getting ready, all in traditional. My parents arrived to give me, you know, extra jewellery to wear. And my mum was like, oh, he's not here? And um, I was like, uh, no. And I looked at my dad like, we haven't told her yet. <laughs> and my dad's like, shaking his head at me. Like, no, no, you know, don't you break it now. And I was like, oh, God. So I had to go through the entire wedding. My mum just asking again, where is he? Where is he? Oh, it was just, and then you're kind of, sat in the ceremony I remember like the music one of the songs they played when they were signing the certificate was the song that me and him had walked into and I was sobbing and my cousins were holding my hands but obviously they were really happy for the other family member getting married and there's like me sobbing and, you know everyone thinking I'm just crying because I'm so happy and I'm like there like gripping onto my family's hands it was so hard and I remember like the reception like the, the reception and getting ready for that and then going to that but I couldn't even I couldn't face it I just sat there for the dinner did what I could and then and I just went back to my hotel room and just sat there I felt so I felt so tired over the last however long this has been going on because I just the emotions you go through are exhausting um yeah, I just, I've been having so many naps to deal with it. <laughs> naps are the best thing to have at all times, especially yeah. during divorce proceedings. You're so right in what you said earlier about waves of grief, because so many times I've thought, you know, when I started this podcast, I thought, great, I'm fine. Like I can talk about this because I'm totally over it and I'm dealing with it really well. And then you know, I'll have a conversation with someone about something and it'll make me think of something else that's happened or yeah, weird stuff like you hear a song that there's a specific memory to or like yeah. the first time you go to the supermarket that you always went to with <gasps> them, without them. Like yeah. so many tiny weird things that just make you cry or feel w so strange. Like I remember, yeah. like I love crumpets but I haven't bought crumpets since we broke <gasps> up because he used to really like crumpets. And that is such that that is such a weird thing. And I would be like, you know, I feel happy that now that I'm divorced and I've been seeing other people and things like that, but I have this weird thing still about the crumpets. I'm exactly the same with the loaf of bread. I couldn't buy a loaf of bread because I remember doing it once after he'd moved out and 
I, I, I love toast. I eat toast, but I, I couldn't get through the, the loaf of bread and it got moldy. And I remember sobbing and I was like, I can never buy a loaf of bread again because I can't do it. I'm just one person. I can't possibly eat an entire loaf of bread on my own. And it just reiterated that feeling of like, you are alone. That's so interesting about the loaf. Of, I mean, I don't think I could cope without bread, but yeah, they're, they're just all the signifiers that you are now one and not two. Mm -hmm. And I think the world a lot of the time is built for two. Yes. And, you know, even things like if you get um, a meal from the supermarket (gasps) that you cook in the oven, so often they come for two. And then if they come for one, you just feel so sad buying it because it's like meal for one. (laughs) It's really big writing. Or or you end up buying the one for, I often get like, you know, it serves two, it says serves two, but I eat it all. (laughs) <laughs> just eat more yes, food <laughs> I'm like well this one is having serves too yeah. so I'm I'm full now <laughs> oh god oh it's such a dance with yourself every single day like you convince yourself you're doing okay and you're really not but you don't want to complain about it that's what I really because you don't want to be like whining about how miserable you are <laughs> all the time <laughs> But I think also, you know, it's it's the ups and downs, isn't it? Because I think the majority of the time I do feel great and I definitely am happier on my own. But then there are just terribly miserable times and things that set you off. Like I remember the other day I was trying to take apart a piece of Ikea furniture to flat to re-flat plaque it so that we could put it in my mum's garage so maybe my sister wants it when she moves into her new house and I couldn't and I have like a screwdriver that I've bought since I got divorced check me out (laughs) electric screwdriver and and all this stuff I know and um and I couldn't for the life of me like re-flat pack this piece of furniture Mm. and it made me so angry and so frustrated because it was a reminder that because it was something my ex would have been able to do really easily and it was a reminder that if he was here it would have been done and I cut and I've really tried to do so many things on my own since we've separated and I have and I feel really proud of myself for these things that I've you know never done before and it was just a reminder that I was on my own and that I had no one to help me and my dad died after we got married as well so like I couldn't even call my dad to help me and I just I felt like I'd suddenly lost all the men in my life yeah not that only men can do DIY but all the men in my life were very good at doing those sorts of things and it was just I just sat on the floor of my um study this is literally like last week and I just cried because it was like I'm alone and I've got no one to ask for help which is not true but at the time that's what I thought and and I can't manage on my own yeah even a tiny thing and it really got to me even though I'd say I'm very happy being divorced but that moment was hard yeah I've definitely had that I think because I said I um yeah getting the going through the divorce really reiterated to me how reliant I was on him and I didn't like that and I think it really shone a light on the things that I thought I was doing and being independent, but I really wasn't. I wasn't being independent at all. And then I got annoyed at myself because I'm like, come on. I think that was that was one of those things um, because we split up when I was 29 and then I was approaching my 30th birthday and I was the stereotypical dreading turning 30. I always told myself I'm not going to be that person, but I was that person. I felt sick. I was miserable. I was like, I'm 30. I'm getting a divorce. I'm losing where my house. Like, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And then I Googled, you know, the things to do 30 before 30 because I was like, oh, it's going to give me some really inspirational things. No, it was like, get married, have a house, have a kid. And I was like, those are all the things I'm throwing away. And I know they mean absolutely nothing, but it just added to this whole crappy year I was going through. And I was like, this is a mess. And my birthday, I was just sat on my sofa. I, I cried in the morning and then it was okay. And majority of the people I've spoken to who've given me advice, all oh, is quite funny. I was one, one time sat in the local cafe. My local cafe is basically my central park. I go in there, I, I chat to the owner and the baristas. It's such a lovely little space for me. And they really, really helped me through everything. And I was like, oh, 
I'm, I was very open. I was just like, yeah, I'm, I'm going through a divorce. And they were like, oh, you'll be fine. Do you have any kids? And I'd be like, no. They'd be like, oh, that's easy. You'll be fine. I went through one divorce and it was fine. And, blah, 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 blah. and they would tell me and I'd go, okay, yeah. Remind myself, five years time, I'm going to look back and it's going to be fine. But I also got a little bit annoyed about the whole like, you know, have kids is not going to be as bad. And I appreciate that. But then I was like, you're just reminding me that I don't have kids. And that was one of the things I wanted. I can totally relate to that because I think, you know, and obviously I've spoken to a lot of people who've got divorced and have children and they talk about how that all works. And it sounds very difficult in its own way. But I think it's kind of that viewing divorce as like a competition. Like if you don't have a house together and you don't have kids, it's going to be really easy. If you've got a house together, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. You don't have kids, so it's fine. You've got a house together and kids. Oh my God, you win at how hard divorce is. And actually it's, it's hard for everyone in a very unique and personal way. And, and I didn't have kids with my ex and it's so interesting because so many people have said to me, you don't have kids, do you? Oh, you'll be fine. Exactly like you. And, and yes, I can say I am glad we didn't have kids together because it wouldn't have been the right environment for those children and, and all of that. But, but yeah, like I was someone who was considering having children and it is a reminder that that didn't happen and you're getting older and do you still want them and can you still have them? And, and also I think in some ways, some people without children might say it's hard in a completely different way because you don't have something wonderful that you've created from that marriage. And we are truly alone because we don't even have, I know it's difficult in other ways, but we don't even have children there to, you know, look after and keep us company. We are completely on our own you know, almost like a reset back to before we met the person and got married. So I do think, yeah, we sometimes are treated like, oh, you'll be fine. And we will be, but it is definitely difficult in a whole different way. Do you, can you see yourself meeting someone and having children in the future? Yes. I think I'm such a romantic at heart. I really... I still believe in marriage. I'm scared of it now. I'm really, really scared of it. But I believe in it so wholeheartedly still. I, it would be really sad if I couldn't find someone and build that, that dream I sort of built up in my head. But then it's, again, I kind of have to... I, I kind of really lobby between I want to have that what I tried to create before but then I've become a bit of a cynic at the same time where I'm like oh but it may not last and if I try again it might fail and I might fail again and I might mess it up and I don't know whether I've become a bit of a cynic because I'm like I know how bad it can get but I still have so much hope um so I think I I I'm hopeful that I'll get to a point where when this is all over and I get that final piece of paper saying it is over and sell the house and actually move on, I can then kind of go, okay, now where do I go? And I'm free to love again, I guess. Sounds really (laughs) severe. (laughs) That's nice. But you said earlier you failed and you don't want to fail again. Do you think you did fail? I don't know. Yeah. Would you, if you could go back in time, would you not marry him? This, I think this is still the question that kind of hangs over me. And also I think to an extent hangs over him. I think I viewed it as a failure because of my, maybe because of my, I guess my upbringing and that whole idea, if you get a divorce, it is a failure. And also with society and you're kind of the, the leper, <laughs> you become a leper, particularly as a woman. Um, I think, I don't know, I, I used to say to him, I was like, if we didn't have the pressure of my family and my family's expectations, we probably wouldn't have gotten engaged as quickly and we wouldn't have gotten married. We might have gotten engaged, but we may not have made it to the goalpost of marriage. Or I don't know. But because of you know, how we were feeling. We were no so loved up. 
we had this kind of pressure. So I guess that kind of pushed us maybe to go down that path. And he was seven years older, so they made sense for him. And I, you know, was ready. Um, I loved him. And I think, had we not had that kind of pressure, I, I used to say to him, I don't think we would be where we are now. Because I, I guess I, again, it goes back to me being a diehard love. Like, I rem, you know, you make promises on the wedding day and it doesn't mean that you don't mean them. But I'm like, damn, I didn't, I didn't keep those promises that I made you. And I think it, it, it goes back to that. I feel like I failed him because he, I think, would still be happily married now. Yeah, that's kind of where that feeling of failure comes in. I think a lot of people can definitely relate to that feeling. And the way I try and look at it with my relationship is, was I happy at some point with him? Yes. Was he happy at some point with me? Yes. So I'm glad I had that in my life at some point. And did I learn things from our relationship and consequent separation? Yes. So I can now take all those lessons into the rest of my life. And I think I had a real period of time where, you know, I was getting divorced. My dad had just died. I found out I needed a hearing aid. Um, So I'd lost like, Mm. I'd lost a dad and a husband and hearing, Mm. which sounds like I just left them on the bus. I hadn't, (laughs) but you know, I'd lost all these things. And I was trying to like look for someone to blame and was it myself and, you know, all these things I'd done wrong. And actually the more things that have challenged me in my life, the more I've learned from them. And definitely, I mean, it sounds like an interview at the end of Big Brother, <laughs> but I've definitely got on a journey yeah. and learned stuff about myself. Yeah. And I'm so glad that I've learned all those things because I definitely think it's made me a better human right now. So yes, the marriage did end. And I try and say that now instead of fail as well, because I think sometimes it is the words we use with ourselves affect what we think. The marriage did end, but it's just like the end of a chapter. You know, I write children's books and um, it's one end of a chapter and then I'm ready to write the next book in the series. Yeah, that's so true. That's actually what my ex used to say I remember when we first kind of he was like I think I don't know whether that's maybe why I haven't gone near that term yet because he said I just feel like I was a chapter in your life and you're now going to go on to be you know great or whatever and I always just I kind of tie that to him being sad about being a chapter in my life so and he and he did teach me so so much and we loved each other really really hard um so yeah but I definitely flip between like oh that was a waste of my life (laughs) at the same time because you're in this (laughs) you're in this horrible chess battle with them because you're figuring out finances but you're desperately trying to hold on to the good but then sometimes actually you do need to compartmentalize the nice nice of them because it's easier to protect yourself in a financial chess game because if you because I I mean I've really gone through this because I, I, I I obviously loved and miss him you then compromise yourself and that's one of the things that I remember I was able to afford one therapy session and this was the therapist not the couple's therapist but the therapist I had before just before I got married because I went through some tricky times just as I was getting married and I and I booked her and I just texted her being like I'm getting a divorce I need to talk to you and I'm, I'm dealing with everything and one of the first things she said to me she was just like Make sure you have a really good lawyer and you protect yourself because I know what you're like. You're very um, emotionally in tune with people around you and you're, it's, it will compromise you and you need to think of yourself. And that was really, really hard. So I almost needed to kind of maybe unfairly, but in my mind, I had to turn him into the bad guy to protect myself and make sure that, you know, it's only me that matters now. Do you remember... Um, a lowest time that you've had so far? One definitely last year after he moved out when I kind of disappeared to majority of my friends and and I was still in the process of telling family I really dipped into a really low place I wasn't eating that much it was all around the same time as like the bread <laughs> issue I, I, I was really I got quite skinny and I was trying to figure out 
you know, finances on my own again, refiguring out where I stood. And it was all a little bit and work was, you know, really quiet um, as a freelance life. (laughs) Um, But then like I had another wave of it obviously because of the wonderful thing that we know is 2020 corona hit and i'm suddenly locked down and i'm a hermit so it wasn't that bad but it was very much like oh my goodness i'm alone and i'm processing processing all of these emotions and it was at that point i'd filed for divorce and we were going through talking through lawyers and then suddenly we're in lockdown i can't go visit my family i can't go to the pub and I can't do all of these things. And oh my goodness, it was just like hit after hit of things happening in the world. So I think I hit a real low point at the beginning of lockdown. I think I was crying. I was just outburst crying for two weeks. It's the, it's the random outburst of crying and the, and the total lack of energy and just staying in bed. I, I remember at the beginning just of lockdown, just lying in bed, not, not having energy to get up and to eat that was my thing I now don't have that problem (laughs) I have enjoyed much food did you talk to a counsellor at that time you said you had one session no so I didn't because I couldn't couldn't quite afford it because you can be referred on the NHS because I have anxiety and so I went to my GP this is a few years ago before even I had my divorce. Um, and they gave me medication, which I still take now, which has really helped through the um, just barrage of things that have happened in my life over the, like, the last four years. Um, and they also referred me to a psychologist on the NHS to do like CBT therapy which for my anxiety, which is really useful. So I think... An important message that I just want to get across on the podcast is obviously, yeah, counselling can be expensive, but if you need it, the NHS, your GP can refer you and you can get it for free if you can't afford it. Yeah, this is the thing I really grappled with. I really knew I needed to seek help. I knew it and I've sought help before. Like It has helped me immensely over my life. There was just this weird thing for me I think I'd kind of turned into that I can sort this on my own because I'd realised how unindependent I had been in my marriage and in my relationship. I was like, no, I need to kind of handle this on my own. And I just took, I took way too much on my own, too much. But it was just, I didn't want to admit it. And I think that's one of the things, like even though I've gone to a therapist, I love my therapist. I love counselling. It's like the best thing ever. But I've really kind of like held back on getting going to my GP and doing all of that the lowest of the lowest was um obviously corona was really tough and stuff but last year when I went through that first dip of depression I had some real sort of suicidal thoughts um I think I think they were more kind of verging on the self-harm and I was I was just in, and I've, I've gone through phases of it in my life, like as a teenager and then into adulthood and uh, even during my marriage. Um, and then after, it's something that kind of reoccurs for me whenever I'm feeling so much pain that I don't know what to do with it. I almost want to take it out on myself. And I've grown up so much like and, and had enough therapy to know that I don't need to do it I can do other things to kind of alleviate the pain and actually look at the evidence and see what's around me um but yeah I I had just I thought I'd gotten through it and then when it hit me last year I was just so wobbly and I think I still every so often with the divorce question life its meaning and I feel like I've almost And I think everyone probably goes through this. You kind of go through a reckoning of yourself when you go through divorce. You really have to look at you and what you are, what you do, and what you mean. And I think if you're susceptible to feeling, and I'm a very emotional, intuitive, like woo-woo person. Like I'm so in love with the moon. I believe it moves me and all of that. So I'm very kind of, if I'm feeling something, my body is reacting to it. Um, 
so going through this, I've kind of overhauled myself to kind of rebuild myself back up again. I'm still kind of in the process of building me back up and figuring out what it is to be me. Um, but yeah, I just, I just feel like divorce kind of gets diminished a little bit from my perspective. I feel like people kind of go, oh, it's something that you do and it, it's over and you're done and you're moving on. But I think you can really grieve it for a while. And yeah, it really makes you question just everything about yourself. Um, And I guess because I'm the one that sort of instigated the ending of the marriage, I've really had to sort of argue why I was doing that you have to take real responsibility for your actions in it because you are hurting not only one person, you're hurting your family, them and their family and every, every person that was invested in both of you. So you have to really kind of, I don't know, maybe that's just me, but I really, really wanted to take responsibility for that. And I think that already as an emotional person, that was quite a lot to to do so that's why I kind of talk about it as like a a reckoning of to my core (laughs) so in if someone's listening now and they're in that space where they're having suicidal thoughts what advice would you give them or what would you say to them it's a really tricky thing because again it's so unique to everybody and everybody feels pain in such a different way. I mean, I could say, make sure you talk to people. I, I have to reiterate, talking to people, even if they don't want to hear, making sure you're voicing it or vocalising it in some form. Speaking the words is different to writing the words or just thinking the words. I think there's something to be said about speaking to them. Um, and you know, it's up to them whether they hear or not, but you need to get it out of your body almost to someone else so you don't have to burden it on your own. And also, remember your self-worth. Everybody has worth in this world. Everybody has value. And at times, it's so hard to remember that. And you might only see glimmers of it. Um... You and you might have to work really hard to see your value, and you might have everybody kind of making you feel like you should be okay and you'll get through this, and you're really strong for doing it, and you'll be better for it. And they can all be very painful things to hear, but yeah, there is truth to it, you can get through it, you know, humans particularly women we are so resilient i think that's one of the best things about us we're so powerful we get through so so much we put up with so so much um you're going to be okay do you remember a moment where you thought ah oh, i'm going to be okay oh it's it's so hard cuz <laughs> i guess cuz this year's been so weird with everything that's been happening um, it's hard to kind of pick one moment, but I guess just talking here with you now, I'm just feeling, yeah, I'm going to be okay. I sound all right. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, I've got this. Yeah. I don't know. I think it is. Yeah. Talking to you again, it's that vocalizing when you sound it out and you talk to someone that, you know, hears you really hears you. Cause that's another thing. Um, you realise actually how much you've you've got around you, how you're going to be okay. <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad I could be a part of your you're going to be okay moment and you are going to be okay. You are okay. <laughs> um, so just to round things off, I've got a few questions about things I'm going through right now that I thought I'd get your take on. So um, as I said, I'm living in the marital home and I've taken it over and it is mine. Um, so I've been redecorating and like making spaces my own and feel more me. Do you remember a time where you 
had to make a space your own and it felt exciting or like did you buy something that you knew your ex wouldn't like but you liked <laughs> um I I reshifted the entire entire house so I'm still in the marital home too and whilst I am selling it I reshifted everything um I reshifted the living room I moved everything um, to kind of feel more me. I took down all of the photos. I think that was one of the things. Um, but yeah, no, I think it was just basically, I, I used to do this all the time in my old flat. I used to reshift furniture. So I, I, and I didn't do it when we moved in here. And when I got married, I just didn't move a thing. We set it up and then that was kind of it. But when he moved out and literally probably about a few months ago, I was like, oh, I need to re-zen the room. So that's what I did. I like moved everything. I bought like a macrame hanging, <laughs> which I love so much, which he would have been like, mm, no. <laughs> I love crafts. <laughs> I've made some macrame during have lockdown. Have you? Oh, I can't say, I can't claim I made it. I bought it from an amazing shop on, uh, in Brighton. So. <laughs> and um, also recently I mowed the lawn for the first time. <gasps> And I've never done that before ever. My ex always used to do it. And it actually felt like a really powerful moment. And like, yeah, I'm doing it on my own. Love do that. you remember one of those moments where you felt like I can survive on my own? <laughs> do my accounts. <laughs> looking at my bank accounts, looking at my income and going, okay, I can do this and I can do this. And yeah. Yeah, I I think it's when I kind of took control of like the entire world that I live in and looking at my accounts and looking at everything. Whilst I did it previously, I wasn't zoning it into properly. But yeah, when I was looking at my accounts for last year and sorting all of that out, I was definitely like, I'm so good with money. (laughs) I'm so good. I'm going to be fine. I love that. I have all my accounts now in little (laughs) coloured folders with labels on them because I have a label maker. Yes, I love stationery. Thank you so much. This has been brilliant. Where can people find you online? So I'm mainly on Instagram. I'm a bit of an Instagram slut. Uh, (laughs) I'm Design. Um, and I've got a few other pages on Instagram, but that's where you'll mainly find me. <laughs> Lovely. Well, thank you so much. This has been great. Thank and you. Welcome to the Divorce Club. <gasps> yes, I finally got it. <laughs> 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 Yay. Oh, hi. Thank you for listening to The Divorce Social with me, Samantha Baines. Please leave us a review. Please, please. Um, it would be super nice they're lovely to read they keep me cheery and happy and keep me going Uh, but also it affects our listing in the podcast charts uh, which are very important because that's how more people find the podcast and I'd love to help more people get through those really tough heartbreak and divorce times and they're more likely to find us if we're higher up on the charts so if you'd like to leave a review I'd love you forever you can leave them on iTunes is the big one or most podcast platforms do them as well I'll take all the reviews you've got to give you can also uh, get in contact on Twitter and Instagram at DivorcePod and at Samantha Baines. We have a website, thedivorcesocial.com, and we have a Patreon account, which means that you can support the podcast for as little as £2 a month. And it helps me with all the admin costs. It also means you have access to our 90s-style divorce and heartbreak chat room. And there's lots of exclusives on there, little bits of audio that you don't get in the main podcast, and some giveaways as well. So I'd love to see you over on Patreon. That's patreon.com forward slash Samantha Baines. And please leave a review. Did I say that already? Please leave a review. Love you forever.